Hello, gang. What's up? It is, uh, geez, Wednesday, December 9th, 2015. My name is Luke Thomas, and this is the Promotional Malpractice Live Chat here on MMAfighting.com. Thank you very much for joining me. I very much appreciate it. Boy, what a big one we have today. Um, UFC Fight Night 80 is tomorrow. Ultimate Fighter 22 finale, I think, is on Thursday night. Either way, UFC Fight Night 81, however you want to call it. Uh, is on Friday night, excuse me, and then on Saturday night, UFC 194. First time in UFC history there's going to be back-to-back-to-back shows in three nights like this. Uh, uh, Quite a moment, and very interestingly, the cards for all three, not totally, but enough to be satisfactory, hung on in terms of not having injuries. Um, You know, there's still weigh-ins to go, and I suppose we can see what happens on weigh-ins, knock on wood. But, um, boy, what a fortuitous um, – I didn't want to say it. Like, they went big in terms of matchmaking, and, and and like I mentioned, it was just fortuitous in terms of how no one really got injured all that much. Um, so we'll talk about that. And really, anything else you want to talk about in the sport, there's lots going on. Uh, best place to do that, of course, is going to be on MMAfighting.com. Um, and in the comments section, the comments that turn – Green get uh, priority, but not exclusivity. Uh, okay, couple of housekeeping announcements. Everyone has been asking me about the T-shirts again. First quarter of 2016, nothing's changed about that. There'll be no Christmas gifts. Maybe Valentine's if you're lucky, um, but it's not going to be for a while. So I, I teased on Twitter, and you can follow me at SBN Luke Thomas that um, there was going to be an announcement at the top of the chat, and there is. And it is not that there are no T-shirts. That's not the announcement. I also have a new microphone, a really good one. I don't know how it sounds to you guys. Let's see how it sounds to me. I can actually plug this one in and hear myself in uh, when I do it. Let's see how it sounds. How do I sound? Pretty good. Oh, this thing is strong as hell. Okay. Um, it's not that either. It's that today there's going to be a live chat for an hour and a half. And then tomorrow and Friday, two more live chats all at 1 p.m. Now, the only difference is today I'll go an hour and a half. Tomorrow I'll go an hour. Uh, and then Friday I will go an hour. 1 p.m. today, 1 p.m. tomorrow, 1 p.m. Friday, all East Coast time. 1 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Eastern. Three chats to match three UFC shows. Um, those will only be an hour. Those will only be 60 minutes, not the full 90. Just today is the full 90. But I thought that if you're going to have such momentous events, really, with the great headlining action they have all three nights, it really only makes sense to give this amount of content the proper amount of preview. So what tomorrow and Friday will feel like is not just a... um, a preview show, but the Friday show especially, uh, we're going to get into some technique about what had happened on Thursday night. So on Friday, it'll be like a mix between the Monday morning analyst and uh, the live chat. So lots of live chat action coming your way. If you don't get your question asked today, don't sweat it. We're going to get to it either on Thursday or on Friday. Lots and lots and lots of free content coming your way. Um, got podcast goodness more than you can handle, really. Frankly, more than I should be doing. But that's the kind of guy I am. All right, with that announcement out of the way, and please spread the word if you're watching now on social media or any, anytime you see this, me talking about this, get on social media, get out there and, and share the news and share your enthusiasm for this podcast if you like it, and I really appreciate it. By the way, iTunes.com slash 
promotional malpractice uh, to subscribe there. Um, soda of the day, Diet Mountain Dew, just because I was uh, I ran by 7-Eleven and I ran out of time to go and experiment at the hipster uh, grocery store down the street. Although I got a hipster haircut, so not today, but you get the idea. All right. Let's move on into the chat now that we're this far into it. All right. People say the mic sounds good. All right. Let me uh, tweet that announcement real quick. There's a live chat today, tomorrow, and Friday on MMA Fighting. This is, I know, boring for you, and I apologize. Okay. With that annoyance and... uh, stuff out of the way. Let's get going. All right. First question. Who are you picking? Done like the old Mayweather versus um, Mosley writing. Uh, there we go. I apologize for the Mosley Mayweather reference of the worst fight card name in the history of mankind. It was bad. It all seriousness, who are you favoring in fights in these two fights and why? So Aldo McGregor and Weidman versus Rockhold. Boy, this has been so fun for me. Because I don't know how you guys feel. I mean, some of you guys are loyalists to one side. You might be an Aldo loyalist. Um, I'm sure a lot of you out there are McGregor loyalists. And I know you feel at least this. I know you feel confident in your guy winning. I know if you're an Aldo believer, you think, look, there's just too much evidence to suggest that he's going to crumble under this challenge, however unique it may be. I know if you're a McGregor supporter, you're probably out there thinking to yourself, man, you know what? Despite everything Aldo's done, and I respect it, um, McGregor's just too big and too powerful for him, and and uh, and whatever the case may be, you believe in your guy. But I also bet there are real moments out there when you're like, you know what, it's going to be a tough one. He is going to get out there and have to earn it. Um, you just don't beat Jose Aldo easily, um, and frankly, you don't beat Conor McGregor very easily either. At least not in, in this stage of his career. You can say whatever you want about the. The gimmicky submissions he lost to, the Duffy one he lost to, obviously pretty clean. But okay, you know Duffy is a bigger guy, and or at least competing in a bigger weight class uh, more routinely, and, and and whatever we can have the we, the, the Duffy one's a little more complicated, but certainly the uh, the was Artem, uh, what's his face, the uh, the Baltic State submission guy, whatever his name was, who subbed Conor McGregor back then. That was a different stage of his career. I'm perfectly willing, you know, Dominic Cruz lost to Uriah Faber. That's a different Dominic Cruz that one that lost. And so here's a roundabout way of answering your question. I've got a response for Wyman Rockwell, which I'll get to in just a second. But truly, 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 I say to you, without exaggeration or equivocation, Aldo versus McGregor has stumped me. It has truly stumped me. I'm going to do my predictions for the site. I'm going to do my predictions for all three events. Um, but I really have to say there are moments where I feel like if I've I've finally figured out a logic to pick Aldo. I feel so clairvoyant about it. And then 10 minutes later, I'm like, you know what? I really don't know anymore. And I'll have the exact same inner dialogue about McGregor. And you can say that this very answer to you is not satisfying, nor should it be. It's not intended to be 
you know, some sort of line in the sand. I've figured it all out. I have not figured it out. I really have not. There are there are times even when I will pick a guy and I'll describe to you this very scenario where you know I'll have some worries. But this is one where the information it, it is it is it is really funny because if you want to look at the information in a certain way, you can cobble a very convincing case for your guy. It is not hard to put together a case for Jose Aldo. It's really not. Conversely, there's a strong case to be made for Conor McGregor. It's not crazy at all. Those who dismiss him as some sort of guy who has talked his way to the tops, and certainly he has, but even if he hadn't, this is not a moment I feel he's woefully unprepared for. In the end, we'll figure it out. We'll find out, but I, don't, I really don't know which way I'm going to go. I really, really don't. Uh, and I've read everyone's preview. I've watched Faraz Zahabi's preview. I've read everything that all the best preview guys do in the sport. And uh, and not to say they've not been helpful. They certainly are. But it only adds to this. Um, it just depends on sort of what, what you buy into. Because the arguments for each guy's strengths really, to me, seem very strong. What you have to what you have to figure out is where the weakness comes in. Is Aldo um, not as fast? You know, Faraz Zahabi gave the edge and speed to McGregor. I'm not sure I agree with that. I would give the edge and speed to at least early. I would give the edge and speed to uh, Aldo. But over the over time, if McGregor's still there in the fifth round, I'm definitely favoring his chances late. The longer this goes, the more I would favor McGregor. Um, even if Aldo is, and I don't find the scenario too likely, but even if he does the coasting thing. For four rounds again, not not the most likely scenario. Um, so, is, so what's the issue with the speed there? When the weaknesses um, has Jose Aldo's chin been compromised to some extent? Um, does Conor McGregor live on his chin too much? What about the opposite stance and and how that will affect the ability to sort of punishment should the leg kick come firing down the lane? If he fires down the lane, is the left hand going to follow? Like, there's just so many different ways in which to try and figure this all out. Who's going to lead with the footwork dance? Who's going to pressure backwards? Um, is 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 Aldo expecting McGregor to pressure forward so he can work a counter game um, and exit out the side door? Is that the way he wants to go? Is that the, is, even if he wants to do that, can he reasonably pull it off? You know, I can go on and on and on. The answer to you about Aldo McGregor is I really, really, really don't know, and I cannot wait to find out. It's, it's going to be Christmas, opening it up and being like, oh, huh. So that's how that works. Interesting, interesting. And there'll be some. There'll be those of us out there who will have called it um, in a very precise way. There always are. Um, but that's how I feel too. I just really want to be honest about that. I, I, I really do. With Weidman Rockhold, uh, I feel a little bit. And when I say a little bit, I don't mean that much. I mean that much. I feel a little bit more certain about that one, which isn't to say I feel very certain. It's not to say I feel very strongly. Again, these are competitive fights. This is another case in Weidman versus Rockhold where if you really want to cobble a case together for Weidman, it is not all that difficult. And conversely, if you want to cobble together a case for Rockhold, you know, in terms of really being able to win, I don't think that's very difficult either. I really don't. Um, but I'm going to lean a little bit Weidman. I think that's the way my brain is telling me, which is, you know, it, look, and again, if you disagree... Believe me, uh, I would not argue too strongly. Uh, I do buy the argument that Rockhold is more explosive. I do buy the argument that on the feet, he's got a little bit more tools to work with. Um, what I wonder is how much of a pressure game Weidman's going to put on him. 
which isn't to say Rockhold can't handle that, but I think that if Weidman is really able, even if half of his takedowns get stuffed, really even if three-fourths of them get stuffed, if he's really able just to consistently at least make Rockhold answer for the attempt, because even if you answer for the attempt, it's one thing to say, well, I'm going to keep my hands high because I know you're not going to shoot on me at all. It's another to say, wow, I'm going to keep them really low because I know you're going to do nothing but shoot. It's quite another to say, well, I'm going to keep them a little high, a little low, just so I can get my hands down to, you know, to, to get double underhooks, to, to dig an underhook to stop you um, because, you know, you might get a takedown. It's still yet another thing to say, I can stop your takedown if I get my hands down there, but I at least have to keep my hands close enough to do it. So it's not even really a takedown threat that he's so much worried about. It's that if he doesn't address the takedown threat, it becomes real. If he does address it, it's not real. That still keeps your hands kind of honest. And so as a long roundabout way of saying things, um, if I had to guess who has more opportunities to press it in different dimensions, Rockhold seems to have a lot of responses for the pressure, and I believe that he does. And I believe he can catch Weidman. I believe Weidman is very susceptible early. Um. But I really feel like the guy who's going to be pressing the action is going to be Weidman. Um, he's got a slight wrestling advantage. He doesn't have to use the cage as much to score a takedown. That's one, I've been harping on that for, honestly, for like two years now. Weidman can get a takedown off the cage. He doesn't need to. He can get a takedown in the center of the cage. He can do that twisting at different angles. Um, I, I suspect Rockhold will still be able to stuff most of them. Hell, Rockhold might stuff all of them, but he still has to answer for it. And if you have to answer for it, as you say in jiu-jitsu, look, this guy's not as good as you. You're a black belt. He's a purple. All right? But let's say this purple just has a wicked arm bar, right? He has a black belt level arm bar. You know, Alistair Overeem does not have a black belt level um, overall jiu-jitsu game, at least not that I'm aware of. But he, there was a time, man, and even still, he had a black belt guillotine. Woo, nasty guillotine, okay? So imagine it's a scenario like that. The black belt who is smart going up against that purple belt would at least say in his brain, I'm better than this person. If I mind my P's and Q's, I can beat this person, but I have to respect that arm bar. I have to respect that arm bar. That arm bar is nasty. That's what I mean. Rockhold still has to respect that takedown, even if he thinks he can stuff it, and even if he can stuff it. And so for me, just the variety of looks that might be coming his way if 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 Rockhold is counterfighting the whole time, I don't like his chances over five rounds. If he's pressing the action, you know, if it's mixed in terms of who's pressing, then you can definitely have a different conversation about his chances. But again, this is just my opinion. I really have no idea. They're super super tight. If 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 Wyman got went in there and got starched, who could possibly be surprised? I'd be surprised if Aldo or McGregor got starched in the first round. But honestly, a second round defeat wouldn't surprise me. You know, MMA is bizarre and crazy, and these are these are these are very tough fighters, man. They're not going to be easy to beat, and it's going to be it's going to require um, a yeoman's effort um, to get past any of these guys. And best of luck to them because they're going to need it. All right, Ronda hitting the road. Ronda has pretty much stated if she is defeated in the rematch against Holly Holm, she is finished with the sport. Given that she has elected to stay with Coach Edmund, should we be preparing our farewells for the ex-champion? Because he really didn't exactly coach her well last time against Holly in many people's opinions. So what do you personally think are three things that Coach Edmund has to address and change 
about Ronda style skills and game plan in order that Ronda may regain the gold and stay in the sport. Okay. I think this is a very good question. And it's James who has been gone for a while. What's up, James? Ha mess. Um, three things she would have to fix. Well, let me just make a, a general statement about this before, and I've made it, and I didn't think I made it very clearly, so I kind of want to reiterate it just for just a second. Um, I had initially tweeted right after the first fight between Rousey and Holm that, I, you know, in thinking about it, there wasn't a lot you could point to that would really give you a lot of enthusiasm about Rousey's chances in a rematch, and I still think much of that is true. Um, but there's another part of me that doesn't think that's very true. In other words, um, if Rousey just went back to distance closing and somehow figured out some better entries, even if she shot only just to get her hips on there, um, if she got home to the ground at least two more times, the, the, here's the problem. We didn't have enough evidence to conclude that Holmes submission defense was as good as it needed to be it was in this particular one case but they she only had to defend a submission one time you know and it was a kind of a rushed attempt and we went back on the monday morning analyst how you know uh rousey you, when you go for the, the juju Gatami role you're supposed to have you know be bouncing on the top of your head she was kind of with the crook of her neck and it's and she had become instead of this angle on the arm bar she'd become almost this way and there's no arm bar there and you know, so so in that particular sense, Holm did everything she needed to. But given a few more attempts, would she be able to? And, you know, one thing I thought about was even if you shot a wrestling takedown, like I am certain that Rousey's wrestling shot is not good. But even if you do a wrestling shot, someone has to put their hands on you to stop it. And even if they get an underhook, that's all you you could let them have the underhook. Let them have both underhooks. Rousey can still throw you from there. In other words, uh, uh, a takedown attempt, yeah, you're kind of pushing away. And sometimes, is it, you know, if you're a single leg, you're a limp leg and out of it. But with a, if you're trying to really stuff someone's takedown, you're getting at least one, if not two hands underneath their armpits, and you're pulling them up off your hips. You're pulling them into a space where, you know, if you're very good in that space, you have the double underhooks. The Rousey can work with you even if you have double underhooks. Now, of course, that was where Rousey got taken down from last time with that double underhook position um, after landing that big punch. But as you... Guys may recall in the article, she was saying she wasn't even all there at that point. Look, here's what I'm saying. She has a long road to climb. Three things. I don't know that there's three things that, you know, uh, need to work on. Everyone talking about the game plan. Uh, I keep saying this before. The game plan was not great. The game plan was predicated on what are all the things that you can reasonably do here? You, not the, not the proverbial you, not the you out there that can do anything. You, what can you do? I can do X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so let's take that and then apply that to this challenge. And that may be wholly inadequate for that challenge, but that's what she had to work with. So look, getting behind a jab, uh, learning how to cut the cage off. If she can get her hands around home without too much trouble, I think hand fighting in the clinch, she would try to get the two-on-one, eat an uppercut, let go to address the uppercut, and then home's away. Maybe that two-on-one across the body just isn't a good idea. You, know, you need to get one hand around the neck. If she can find a better way to land that overhand left, or at least the overhand, you know, club, they call it clubbing and wrestling, where you know you, you're supposed to hand fight. You're pulling on the guy's head. You're pulling on his neck, stressing out his lower back. Sometimes what you get is you'll get a guy that comes over, and he's just pulling on your neck, but he kind of does a slap pull, where they go whap behind the neck, and then they yank down, but they do it all at once, and it feels like 
they're clubbing you. They call it clubbing in wrestling. You finding a way to just to get a clubbing action going, you know, without home breaking away. But until these, until the footwork issue is addressed, until the spacing issue is addressed, until she has weapons at different ranges, I mean, she is way behind on that. Way behind. You know, three things seems to me, you know, wholly inadequate. Um, not surrendering again, foot positioning on the outside where home absolutely just thrived. Um, you know, it, it's a, just there's a tremendous amount she has to work on. And she was talking about how she can't eat an apple. That's almost good. If I were her, you know, and I get back on her feet, you know, it's obviously I'm not her. I've never been as successful in anything as she has been. But if I'm if if I if I could help. I would say don't worry about not being able to take an impact. Use the time off when you can finally get back on your feet and you feel better and you're ready to get back in that gym. And use the time off where you can't take an impact to just do footwork, to just do footwork. Defensive, moving laterally, circling in, circling out, circling out when someone's pressuring forward, bobbing and weaving drills the whole time, foot agility drills. I would be, I would be, I mean, what a massive opportunity. You don't have to worry about taking a hit at all. Just get in there and you're working about footwork and angling out and how to pressure and how to corner and, and everything else. It's, 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 if, if Raquel Pennington can do it, even if it's a Holly Holm that was not at her best at that moment, certainly Rousey can make it closer. All she has to do is just get the hands together and she can create a lot of problems for you. You know, we saw that. Who has the advantage striking, Connor or Aldo? So on the one hand, you have very unorthodox, rangy, creative southpaw striker like Connor, who can throw unpredictable techniques and fights in a southpaw stance. And on the other, you have Jose, who has vicious Muay Thai and the most devastating leg kicks in the game. Do you think Aldo will be able to utilize one of his favorite combos, the Dutchy left hook, right leg kick, on a southpaw like Connor effectively, seeing it will be much easier for Connor to check the leg kick from the southpaw stance and unleash that lethal Celtic left cross. I personally feel like Jose Jose gets a little too reckless in the pocket, throwing wild haymakers and looping hooks, leaving himself wide open for counters. Thoughts? Um, I'm not sure what a lethal Celtic left cross is. I'm going to assume you are a Conor McGregor fan. But that being said, that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. Um, You know, better... It it really depends on what portion of striking you want to talk about. Um... You know, who's got the overall, they're very different. One guy is a Muay Thai striker. Um, one guy is a adapted um, boxer slash kickboxer. So he's got, you know, he doesn't have a full kickboxing arsenal that you can really rely on, but he's got a few really good weapons in the kicking game that have a profound effect on the outcomes. Um, you know, great reach, big power, as we've talked about a lot on this podcast. Um I think Aldo has uh, better defensive exiting. Obviously, Aldo has the much harder leg kicks, uh, fewer weapons with leg kicks, even than I think Conor McGregor, or f- fewer weapons with le- um, kicking attacks generally over the course of the body. Um, uh, Aldo, much more explosive with knees. Um, Aldo, a, a better combination puncher, in very tight windows. In other words, if you take the window to just be bop, 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 and then they exit out, right? So that one tiny space, that one exchange, basically, I would give the edge to Aldo. But if you let a guy build sustained pressure, bop, bop, back up, bop, 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 back up, and then he begins to build on that, that is Conor McGregor to a T, man. He likes to back you up. 
He likes to back you up with his power. He likes to cut off the cage. He likes to get in your face. He likes to force you to make bad decisions with pain. That's, that's basically what he likes to do. This hurts. That hurts. You're backing up. You can feel it. I'm going to take away your movement. I'm going to make you feel pain. And I'm going to make you feel tired. And I'm going to make you make bad choices. And I'm just going to separate you from your consciousness. That's that's Conor McGregor's game. To date, Jose Aldo's game, you know, the early WECD, uh, WEC days, I'm not excluding them necessarily, but they're not in front of my mind, um, is Aldo, tremendous leg kicks, um, inside and outside. People never realize that. Um, decent kicks to the body, fantastic knees, um, you know, brilliant uh, uh Straight hook combo. He's good at those two. Um, there's a lot he's good at. There's a lot he's good at. They're they're good at different ways of striking. The question is how they match up and what ends up mattering more. By the way, this whole idea that like Jose Aldo can't handle a southpaw in terms of leg kicks to me seems deeply misplaced. Um, he might end up losing the bout, Jose, and still scoring well with the leg kicks. This is why I keep trying to tell folks, I'm not saying the leg kicks are not important. They're very important. In fact, of all the list of important things, they're either at the top of the list or very close to it. But they're also on a list with other important things, namely the conditions that have to be created so that leg kicks can take flight, right? I mean, if you don't establish those, what do leg kicks even mean? Um, so there's that, but it's it's more than that. There are a ton of attacks already from a switch stance. And I have to tell you, I've spoken to a lot of strikers the last couple of weeks who are telling me that like they actually like it when they have an opponent that's opposite stance because they can come from the back end and just drill into the front. They don't mind that at all. And if you get the spacing and the timing right, um, and you have good movement like Aldo, you can you can eat someone's lunch like that, or you don't kick him in the leg at all, kick him in the body. Um, I think Boz Rubin has talked about that at length. It changes the challenge. It may not be as um, obviously available. It's not low hanging fruit in the way that maybe it is that outside leg kick when they have orthodox versus orthodox. But if you're going in there thinking, well, he's southpaw, there goes away my weapons, you're going to be in for a disappointment, most likely. Again, unless Conor McGregor has some other trick up his sleeve. But to me, the thing I'm going to look for first in that fight, I really have to tell you, is going to be is 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 um, who's marching forward and backward. I'm really going to be paying attention to that because I think Aldo fights better than McGregor going backwards. In other words, if you look at Aldo going backwards and McGregor going backwards, I think Aldo does it better. But I still don't think he can win even if he does. At least not if he does it the entire time. If he does it for a round or portions of a round and then changes the tune, okay, that's different. But I know if McGregor's backing up, he's in trouble. But I have to be honest, even if Aldo's backing up, I don't know that I like his chances. And again, I'm not saying if he's backing up for a minute. I'm talking about you know sustained backing up round over round. That's kind of what I really am going to pay attention to that. How does Aldo deal with that? Because even if you're getting out, even if you're landing a leg kick and you're getting out of the way, you get into that Nick Diaz, Carlos Condit territory where, you know, um, one guy was pressuring, one guy was kicking and exiting, and it winds up creating a bunch of conflict and debate in the community. And it leaves everyone basically unsatisfied except for like the most striking purist. Um, I don't want to get into that territory. You know, I kind of want it to be a little cleaner um, in terms of what the judging call is. I mean, again, we mentioned before that home versus Rousey fight was so clean. It was so clean. I kind of want something here, but I don't know if we're going to get uh, maybe that level. But if we can avoid Diaz versus Condit levels of uh, 
what was this? This is BS. I can't believe this. I just don't even want to have that debate anymore. I thought Condit won that fight cleanly, but it doesn't matter because in the end, there was just a portion of the population that doesn't believe landing kicks and exiting out and doing nothing devastating in the process uh, is a real way to fight, unfortunately. All right. So once the mic sounds great. Good. Smaller, a oh, great question. Great question. Smaller cage for Edgar versus Mendez. Luke, how do you see the smaller cage playing a role in the outcome of Edgar versus Mendez on Friday night? So if you haven't heard, the normal big cage is going to be used on Saturday night for UFC 194. However, for both fight night shows, Thursday and Friday, I believe at the Cosmopolitan, it's going to be the smaller cage. Look out. Bombs away. That is going to force some action. When you have less space in which to operate, rotate, escape, or attack, um, it just creates for tremendous, tremendous action. And some people are like, it creates the unfair result. Not really. If you're really good at movement and you're really good at if you're if you're really, really talented, um, and in many ways it benefits you. If you're not all that talented, you know, you might catch a loss when you ordinarily wouldn't have. But I have less have less sympathy for that level of the game. But um, I think this helps Mendez a little bit. Now, whether or not you think that helps his chances overall in terms of winning and losing, I don't know. Um, Edgar requires a little bit of movement. Um, wrestling with Mendez is going to be very, very difficult and something he's not going to want to do too much, at least too early. Um, figuring out Mendez, getting out of the way of his power, circling out, avoiding avoiding the uh, – Mendez likes to blitz with punches and wrestling shots. I think that wrestling, uh, that cage being smaller will help his blitzing attacks. I really believe that. Uh, now, again, I'm not saying that Willow, that won't make a difference, but if you're asking me who, who favors – who does this favor the most? I would argue probably favors Mendez the most. Um, so we'll see. One little note uh, about this. Um, I pre-recorded an interview with uh, Frankie Edgar last week. I shouldn't even tell you I pre-recorded it, but I did. Uh, it'll be out among, on the Luke Thomas show on um, Friday on SiriusXM, uh, Channel 93. Um, and one thing he told me, I think this has been revealed in other interviews. I'm just bringing it up because I want to have a cheap plug for my show. But... Um, he brought, I was asking about his camp because we're having a debate about the Weidman versus Rockhold camp. We talked about it last week on the show. You know, Weidman believes that you bring in the sparring partners you need, you bring in the good coaches you need, you bring in the facilities you need, and you can be a world champion and take less damage along the way versus the super camp theory where you just want to have all a bunch of all-stars, iron sharpens iron, whatever the case may be. We were having a conversation about that. And I asked actually Frankie what he thought of that. And I won't reveal his answer, but he did wind up saying he brought in a couple extra guys for this camp. And one of them was Michael Chandler, which I thought was really smart. Very smart of Frank Yeager. This is not to say that Michael Chandler is the clone of Chad Mendez or to say Michael Chandler is, you know, uh, there's innumerable differences between the guys. But if you had to pick a wrestler in terms of body frame, uh, and he's a little bit bigger, but strength um, and, sort of, and sort of similar styles of attack, uh, it's got to be Michael Chandler tremendous, tremendous training partner. In the end, you'll have to decide for yourself whether or not you think that matters in terms of winning or losing. But that really, really caught my attention. Um, so to answer your question, while I think the smaller cage definitely benefits Mendez, I do not think that Edgar's going to be unprepared for the blitzing attacks 
uh, of Mendez in this particular case. I still think Mendez is going to get his. He's too good to not get his. Um, he's going to do punishment, win or lose. He's going to get takedowns, win or lose. But I, but I, I definitely feel like um, both guys are. While one guy has an advantageous circumstance, the other guy had a really sounded to me like a very, very positive camp. A very, very positive camp. All right, let's go down to the next one. All right. Uh, someone says, any specifics about the Reebok-sponsored gym deals? I've seen a couple of them. I honestly have not done any research into them, so I don't want to speak out of turn. Great. You guys have awesome questions today. I'm so happy about it. Ring Rust. Hi, Luke. On fight night this Saturday, it will be around 14 months, almost 15, since Jose Aldo last stepped into the UFC octagon. I know fighters like Dominic Cruz insist that Ring Rust is completely fictitious and relates to a fighter's psychological mindset. However, to what extent, if at all, do you feel it will play a factor in UFC 194's main event? Since Aldo's last ad outing, Connor has fought twice. Just want to get your take on things as not having heard it mentioned by anyone at all in pre-fight buildup. So there's two things you want to think about here, not just one. Yes, of course, the ring rust. I'm a big believer in ring rust. There are there are mental marvels like Dominic Cruz, who it doesn't seem to affect. But Dominic Cruz is such a special athlete. We are lucky to be around at the time in which he is competing, even if that's been hampered and limited by injuries. It's you know what a phenomenal guy. Uh, to have, but but the reality is we've seen way too many athletes at way too many weight classes at way too many ages and way too many circumstances just not quite look like themselves after a long period of time. And maybe that can be uh, you know sourced not so much to the time off in the octagon, but you know an improper training camp to address that absence. You can have your theories, but I'm just saying from time off to time in, you just see too many circumstances to conclude that ring rust is not a thing. Doesn't affect everyone all the time, but anytime there's over a year off, anytime it's nine months to a year, I begin to get, mm, anytime it's over a year, I definitely think it's a factor. Here is the interesting counterpoint to that, which frankly, um, in a sense, both guys benefit from. But I think a little more so Aldo. Maybe. Not really. Whatever. Here's the second point. Connor wound up going through with the UFC 189 fight, and he we all know what happened, and he wound up healing his knee a little bit, and then they basically got right back to camp. There was not much time off. Let me go back and look at this. That's for my own edification. So that was in July. So then if you take July off, healing through August, whatever it took, September, October, November, December, okay? So they had a little bit of time off. Here's my point for both guys, and especially for Aldo because there was no fight in between. The ring rust would really concern me if it had they had never intended to fight at 189. They were always going to fight at 194, and he had roughly 15 months off. That would very much that that would make me almost lean towards uh, McGregor to be truthful about it, uh, especially since as you know, McGregor's been been uh, active. The difference for me is that he has basically had without a fight back to back camps for the same guy. Boy, that is that is tremendous. That is a real big benefit for both guys. Um, 
And who you think it benefits more depends on what you want to argue. Aldo got to at least look at some version of McGregor, maybe add a couple of tweaks in there. Um, McGregor got to tweak his training camp overall um, to you know worry about uh, you know to lessen injuries and to really focus down on some of the things that Aldo does better. Right? Here's my point: It's one thing to have a, a camp, and then you guys rematch a year or two down the road. It is quite another to have back to back camps around the same guy in close, tight succession. Boy, these two guys are going to come out the gate barnstorming. They are going to have all kinds of tricks for each other. This is sort of what I'm talking about. All of the available evidence out there on video, you can look at it, and I still feel like you are going to have a new appreciation for Conor McGregor when this is over, and you are still, even with all we know about Jose Aldo, going to have new appreciation for Jose Aldo. These two donkeys, you watch, they are going to have some tricks up their sleeve for the other guy. They're going to have something for you. I truly believe that. When you have back-to-back camps like that, the second time you do the camp, you get a chance to do the first camp right. These camps are just laboratories, and it's a lot of guesswork. It's a lot of figuring out what can we do with maybe work around this injury or we're going to focus in on this thing. When you do it again, yes, there can be you know mental drains, but the fight is so big and they're both so motivated. I'm not worried about that. There was a little bit of time off in the middle to heal injuries, to get their minds right, to be at home, training in Brazil, training in Ireland, and then get right back into camp. But this time say, you know what? Let's do this a little bit smarter. Let's do this a little bit differently. Let's think about some of the ways in which we can really game plan around this guy, around our strengths, and make this so what we want to make it. Um, this is, to me, a completely underrated aspect of the fight buildup is that you have two guys with back-to-back camps around the same guy. Wow. You don't get that very often. You really don't. And, you know, you saw what happened with uh, Matt Serra and GSP. You know, Matt Serra was saying it was those – I mean, that wasn't the same kind of delay, but it's similar where he was like they were supposed to fight one day and they, 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 they couldn't. They got pushed back. And it was those extra rounds, man. It was those extra push that really took his, his boxing and his power punching and the ability to lay it on George another level. Now you've got both guys doing that. You know, you got you got really, really, uh, uh, um, you just have an extra extra moment here of 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 homework they were able to do. And you know, in both cases, both guys coming back from injury, Aldo from the rib, and then Connor from his knee. You know, Connor revealing eighty percent. I think it was ACL was torn, or it was MCL, whatever the case may be. You know, pretty serious damage to the architecture of his knee. Uh, I really feel like this has not been talked about, and, I, and and it's hard to discuss exactly what it all means, but I really have to say you have an elite camp like Nova Uniao, you have an elite camp like SBG, you have an elite fighters like Aldo McGregor, and they have had two camps back-to-back with just enough space in between to catch their breath. The second camps, they both have said these were tremendous. It's not a coincidence to me they didn't get injured the second time. Um, you know, it's not just luck either. I bet you that they formulated smart, good game plans, good training, really focusing on the things they wanted to do. Whatever they were drilling in the first camp got just smooth as butter in the second camp, uh, and they're going to be ready, man. They're going to be too – I mean, I'm telling you, I, this is why it's so hard for me to pick because both guys have a tremendous amount of ability, but they have a tremendous – they had a tremendous you know, six months here, whatever you want to call it, however long the arc really goes – to really six months or more, really to to uh, just just get so good and so um, uniquely prepared for the other guy. Um, 
I, I can't stress how important I think that is. Anyway, long story short, if, it, if there was no second camp, the ring rust, the ring rust would really worry me. But with two camps under his belt for Jose Aldo, I'm really not that worried about the ring rust. It's that little twist that changes the ring rust argument for me. Uh, GSP and John Jones versus UFC. Luke, what are your thoughts on the recent remarks made by these two fighters who are uh, who to many, two of the all-time greats, and their allegations against UFC, mainly Dana White? So let's say a couple things up front. Number one, to your point, it is mostly the gripe. Well, the gripe is about UFC management, although they kind of put a distance and a wedge between Lorenzo, uh, Fertitta, and Dana White. So there's, that's their one part there. Second part is, it should be noted, just as a matter of being fair, uh, the UFC has unequivocally denied the characterizations of both guys. Um, whether you agree, whether I agree, I'm, I need to state it, I think, for a matter of fairness. Like they, the UFC has um, made it a point to say that, look, this is simply not the case. Um, tremendous respect, blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, uh, in the case of Jones, this is not how we conduct business. Um, you know, and that, and that sort of thing. Up to you to decide who you think is right. Um, so there's that. So about the remarks generally, uh, I mean, look, I, I think I mentioned this before too. You've got Aldo, GSP, and Jones. Three, I mean, sure fire Hall of Famers, right? Even if Jones never comes back. Even if McGregor loses, he's going to the Hall of... Uh, well, Aldo's going to the Hall of Fame. I mean... It's not up for debate, and we know George's record. So you got three Hall of Famers who have had some issues about how they have been treated. Um, you know, what does that tell you? Is it all in their imagination? Maybe. Maybe they're prima donnas, you know? It wouldn't shock you if someone said, uh, you know, John Jones is a prima donna. Um, look, this just goes back to the, the structure of power in play. These guys can speak out because they have a little bit of ability to speak out because they have a lot of value to the company. You know, they expect a certain level of treatment, um, and there's not much consequence to them saying too much uh, because ultimately the UFC still basically needs their services. So there's that. Um, but ultimately, what's going to happen with it? These guys are just partly negotiating in public. They're just um, looking out for number one. Until there's a greater structure in place, until there's a, uh, you know, a, a fighters association to, you know, um, take this grievance up with the league and there is a bargaining agreement about what all these matters entail and how to have these grievances addressed, they don't mean a whole lot. You know, and I think the argument about Look, the UFC has a business to run. They're going to run it as they see fit. They're not always going to see, and that's what I mentioned before. Brendan Schaub used to be like, "I'm Team UFC." Well, I don't think they're Team Brendan Schaub. They're not Team Anti Brendan Schaub, but they're not Team Schaub either. They're they're not Team Anti John Jones, but they're not Team Jones either. They're Team UFC. That's how they're going to be. And to the extent there's mutually overlapping interests, well, they're going to work together, right? But it's just not realistic to expect this corporate entity which has its own needs and its own desires and its own you know, uh, aspirations and ways of doing business to entirely hand in glove match up with another fighter's interest. That's just not going to happen. Um, and so once you accept fundamentally, even if they were the most 100% by the book people on earth, it, it still would never happen. You're, going to, you're not going to have alignment on things. And so once you fundamentally accept that there is going to be a, a lack of alignment fundamentally in your career with your promoter, um, 
then the question becomes, how do you want to handle that? You still want to work with them, just in a maybe more equitable capacity. And, you know, to what extent we get a, a, a turn towards there, I don't know. But I guess I'm just trying to point out, um, I think everyone has kind of accepted as a promoter, the UFC is just going to do certain things, assuming you believe these allegations. Um, they're just going to do certain things. I don't think it's that, that's for me. It's like, it's never going to change. Um, I, I expect them in some ways to almost tick some of these matters. Of course, the question is as a fighter or as a group of fighters, what do you intend to do about it? All right. Another good one. Boy, there's lots of good ones here. Vitamin D, that's funny. Uh, all right, Rockhold versus Weidman, the Machida factor. Of course, we don't do the famously unreliable MMA math, but what can we discern using each of Rockhold's and Weidman's performances against the Dragon that may give us a technical window of insight into how their monumental fight for the title fight might play out? Can you see certain important points in their fights against the Dragon and how they could have significant impacts in the coming battle? Uh, one was the initially with Weidman getting tired late, not sure how much that's going to be a factor here since he's kept his weight down, but that was something that I noticed in the in the Machida fight. And I want to make a general point about the Machida, you know, alignment uh, or the Machida continuum here, namely, um, I just I could be wrong. I just don't think the Machida that Rockhold fought was the same. It's not that you know, well, because it happened after, it's automatically means that. Machida is less. But that was a you know, Machida who was in his mid, mid-30s by that point already and took a tremendous beating. I just don't think he ever recovered from that. Uh, not to the fullest extent. Like when you're when you're 22 and you take a beating, you could probably come back pretty easy. I mean, 35, not as easy. Not as easy. Uh, I don't believe that's the same one. And, and maybe I'm wrong for that. I, I don't have a strong argument for it. It's more just a hunch. Than anything else, but I don't. If you take a bad beating in your mid 30s, the ability to rebound is, in my judgment and opinion, severely compromised. Um, which isn't to say Rockle didn't fight like an animal. I thought his ground control was sick. Uh, obviously, he's got tremendous accuracy and punching power. I think his, I think the accuracy of Rockle strikes was something that he never used to have in his back pocket, and now he does superbly. Before he was kind of just a guy who would just wild, who would just wild out, and eventually just you know who's like who's like a Paige Van Zant in a way, um, you know those pre Jacare days, even that Jacare fight to an extent, but the Jacare fight was the first time you really got a sense of like whoa his technical development has really happened, and now man, his technical ability it, it makes him I mean he's it's just a marvel to watch, really really accurate power punching. It's going to be a big problem. That's what I mean for problem. Weidman early because I think he's going to get I think he's going to get stole on early I, I do believe that the question is you know um, if you think he can make it out of that but um, you know one thing I look for in this fight that I think is going to match the wide the the Machida fight for Weidman was Weidman's ability to back him up I mean from the word go what are the conditions you have to establish to take away Leota Machida's striking to the best extent possible that means pressure that's what that means. No, no, no two ways about it. So I expect the same kind of thing here with Rockhold. Different approaches, different entries, different ways to circle a corner. 
no doubt. Rockhold's a much longer, more powerful, more accurate threat. But those same kind of sensibilities have to be there. You have to back him up. You have you cannot fight Luke Rockhold backing up and expect to win. At least not for very long. So there's that. Uh, and I think you know you saw that Chris Wyman has the ability to pressure people backwards. Um, you know, one area that we haven't really talked about, I think Luke Rockhold might rough him up in the clinch a little bit. Uh, I do, I do believe that. Once they get in the clinch, I think that Rockhold, you know, being a little bit taller, a little bit rangier, I think he might be physically a little bit stronger. I don't know about that last part. I'm just, I have a question about it. I'm not even asserting it as an opinion. I, I, maybe that's true. Although Wyvin's proven to be quite strong. Um. So yeah, those are the things I'm most looking forward to because the Machida fight wasn't a whole lot. Big accurate punching from from Rockhold. And then just, you know, dominance on the ground in terms of ground and pound and, and control. So, by the way, someone sent me a link saying, you know, Bouchesha admitted getting submitted by Rockhold in training. This, to me, does not mean a whole a whole lot. Um, if you train with a bunch of people all the time, chances are you're going to, you're gonna you know, pass their guard once or mount them, maybe even submit them. Uh, Could have been during MMA drills. Unless you roll with someone like Bouchesha, a thousand times he's going to try different parts of his game that maybe are not very good he'll try single leg x even when that's not his game um or you know maybe you know luke rockhold caught him clean that wouldn't surprise me at all but to me that doesn't really change my opinion one way or the other about the submission on the floor i do believe weidman's top game is going to be better than uh rockhold's bottom game i just do uh there's a comment here i'll read it i don't know to what extent it makes any sense uh, I read a comment from McGregor where he stated, I'm going to go and enjoy that beach weather, get that vitamin D, and make it to fight night. Is the loading of vitamin D a thing fighters do before fights? Uh, I could have sworn I heard an interview from GSP a few years ago where he said the same thing. Um, have you heard this before? I have not, but someone says vitamin D helps to keep stress levels and cortisol down. So from a weight management perspective, it's beneficial for sure. I've also read that it has an influence on cholesterol levels and absorption of other vitamins like magnesium, but you might want to look that up for yourself. There you go. Learn something new every day about vitamin D. Could you want any JCHEC's kryptonite? Kryptonite is spelled with a Y, not an I. Be headlining this week's Fight Pass card. No. According to one of the most technically sound fighters in MMA today, anyone with a high-speed internet connection at $9.99 to spend can catch a glimpse of the current UFC strawweight queen's kryptonite. Last week, Matt Hume, disciple, and current MMA great Demetrius Johnson boldly stated to Joe Rogan's podcast that Paige Van Zant holds the number one ingredient to nu- needed to nullify a Muay Thai fighter, citing her in-your-face, high-pressure style with the occasional wrestling clinch. DJ believes, much like when he fought a Muay Thai specialist, that was the exact pressure style wrestling that off-balanced and nullified his opponent's ability to use the jab to set up the Muay Thai clinch. You know, that's interesting. Um, this is another great fight, man. This Rose versus uh, Van Zandt fight is just so tremendous. It's so tremendous because it's another one of those things where it's like, what do you value more? No one was going to argue with you that Rose Namajunas is just more technical everywhere, really. Um, but she's not quite as strong as Paige Van Zant, and Paige Van Zant will just, you know, unleash the hounds of hell on you in terms of of pressure, just constantly, constantly in your face, making you make bad decisions under duress. That's what they like to do. That's what she likes to do. So, 
Um, so it's a question of, yes, one might have less ability from a technical perspective, but they got a lot more going for them that um, you know can wreak havoc. The problem is, you know, we'll see what she looks like before I can answer this question with the same kind of confidence one way or the other that Demetrius Johnson has. It's a little surprising to me, only because you can I can agree with him that the, that particular style might be beneficial, but just having that style alone is not enough. There are some technical hurdles you need to be over um, before that happens. And one thing that keeps happening to her is she gets chewed up with right hands, both from the outside and definitely in the clinch. She keeps her head up straight in the clinch all the time, and people bomb on her. Now, she manages to overcome it, but I don't know if that's, you know, if you haven't worked that out before you face in Jacek, you might want to. So I don't know that he's wrong about um, the style being really good, but she's got other liabilities that Jacek will just pick her to pieces with. Also, you really want to clinch with Jacek? It's not like she's some hobbyist there, you know. She has, she has quite an ability there as well. Jose, one foot out the door. Recently, one of Aldo's training partners, Andy Sauer, has stated that his UFC 194 fight could be the last time we see the Brazilian champion in the octagon. Given that Jose has had all sorts of grievances with Dana and also many years of combat injury wear and tear, do you think this could seriously be the last time we see Jose Aldo in UFC? I don't know. Someone says he just responded and said this won't be his last fight, thankfully. I will say, though, I don't know if Sauer was guessing or whatnot, um, or if that was some kind of conversation he had had with Aldo at some particular point. But I will say, if that is on his mind, that should be concerning for Aldo supporters a little bit. Even if it's a natural instinct. It's a natural instinct to say, God, after all this time, I just think I might be done, but you know, I can still beat these guys. And maybe if you didn't have that mindset, you could. Like You have the ability to. You have the experience. You've seen it all. But, you know, I guarantee that's not on McGregor's mind. Retirement? Come on, man. He's got he's got dragons to slay. You know, if you slayed all the dragons, it's understandable that you may not feel the same way about the game anymore. But once that process begins to happen, you know, I don't know. But, again, I think more than that is the fact that they had the back-to-back camps that no one's really talked about that I just feel like you're going to get too, too – uh, top of the food chain. And I was having a debate on Twitter with someone about this. Like, again, I'm not going to tell you that the leg kicks aren't important. I'm not going to tell you the leg kicks aren't super important. But when you talk about two guys this good, it will never be decided by one factor. Never. Never, never. Or, you know, statistically almost never. How about that? They're, they're just too good. So many other things go into that. Um. And people point to the Uriah Faber fight. Sorry, I don't think Faber versus Aldo is on the same level as Aldo versus McGregor. I don't. Especially as it relates to striking. McGregor's striking is just on a, on a different level. Uh, for all kinds of reasons. For the fluidity of it, for the movement of it, for the angles that he takes, for the power that he brings. It's just, it's just not the same. So... You know, everyone's like, what about the leg kicks? I'm like, okay, they're important. Let's talk about them. Let's 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 get into that. But you should be talking about McGregor's left hand. You should be talking about Jose Aldo's knee and maybe even his takedowns, you know. Look, do you think Hennon Burrell losing to Dillashaw? made more people pick against Aldo. 
there might be some carryover there. Oftentimes, you see when a couple of guys have a slump in a camp, there's a lot of, well, you know, what about this camp doing this? And what about this camp doing that? And there is a, you know, an assignment of blame to the group when, in fact, it may not, the group may be doing everything they're supposed to be doing. They just, you know, have bad judging or, you know, guy didn't do what he was supposed to in training. Like he was doing in training. There could be any number of factors that explain it that making a broad sweeping indictment of a group not all that fair um there could be some of that in the end though i really believe that if you've picked conor mcgregor it's not really because Burrell lost to dillashaw it's probably because you just believe in conor mcgregor i'm gonna wreck this one up uh edgar mendez all right will frankie edgar take chad down yes will chad take frankie down Yes. Will Frankie drop Chad? Yes. Will Chad drop Frankie? Yes. There you go. On a recent podcast, Chael shared his opinion on the upcoming UFC 194 main event. He insisted that two of the best and most confident fighters at 145 were actually scared of each other. Is Chael the ultimate MMA troll at this point, or do you think there is any validity to his statements? I don't think he's trolling. He might actually believe it. I think uh, Aldo has been hesitant to fight him for a while, and he was hesitant when it was easy to dismiss McGregor's ability. And I was like, hey, who did you beat? You beat Dennis Seaver? Great. You know, you're not even on my level. Um, but I don't know. Connor's been picking a fight for a while. I don't know if I buy that. And when I say Aldo has been dismissive of him, not that he didn't think he could beat him, just that he just didn't want to give the guy the time of day. And then, you know, unfortunately for Aldo, like, Connor just kept turning the corner and turning the corner and turning the corner until it became undeniable. Rogan's replacements. Good question. Joe Rogan has recently hinted that he could be stepping away from his commentary gig and stuff with the UFC. That has to happen. Who do you think are the main runners up to replace him and what qualifies them? Um, It would probably be Brian Stan and Kenny Florian and Dan Hardy are the in-house guys. I imagine they would get a look. Uh, And then if not, they would hire someone else from the outside. But that's probably my best guess, right? Luke, I saw your article. I mean, it was Ariel's interview. I just wrote it up. Tyson Fury saying Conor McGregor was copying everything he did, such as growing out a beard, talking trash, and how he is the first one in Ireland. Correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't everyone have a beard today? Talking trash isn't anything original, and Tyson's anthem is God Save the Queen. So how is Tyson proclaiming he's a big, original Irish guy all of a sudden? Better ask Tyson. That dude, uh, Tyson Fury, is out of his mind. In, in, a, in a Truly out of his mind. Yes, who is more famous in Ireland, Connor or Tyson? I am told Connor is the most, arguably the most popular athlete there.
Was this Chael Sonnen might get the gig to replace Rogan? I doubt that, but you never know. Uh, true or false? Conor McGregor beating Jose Aldo would be considered an upset. Uh, not technically, since he's the betting favorite. Jose Aldo has more ways to win than Conor McGregor. That is technically true, I think. Conor McGregor has a better chin than Jose Aldo. I think that is true. Aldo's power is underestimated. A little bit. Uh, if Luke Thomas had the chance to buy one pay-per-view between 194 and 193, he would have chosen 194, no doubt. All true. Correct. Uh, another good question. Uh, given the timeline Rousey set out in her interview and Holmes' desire to fight sooner rather than later, Holmes versus Tate seems like a likely scenario. Would you agree that this scenario is better than the immediate rematch for everyone involved, but especially Rousey? How do you see Holm versus Tate going? Do you think Holm can avoid Tate's wrestling as well as she avoided Rousey's judo? I can see why the UFC is a little bit reluctant about it because I do think Tate matches up with Holm a lot better than Rousey did. Holm can work behind a jab. Excuse me. Uh, Tate can work behind a jab. She can probably clinch a little bit better. You know, can she have success taken to the floor? I don't know. But... Um, I'm not going to say Holmes' chin is bad, but I don't think it's awesome. And, you know, Tate has good power. Those small gloves, almost anyone has power. She can make it a gritty, dirty fight uh, in ways that, um, and, and you know, not take nearly as much punishment as Rousey did. So what happens if somehow Tate wins that? Well, you'd probably say, okay, you can just do Rousey-Tate again. Um, for the third time, bang, no problem. And you could, you could, you could arguably do that. Uh, even if Rousey never had a fight between them to get back to the title spot, you could just say it's Rousey. She can just go fight whoever is the champion at that point, but you lose that Rousey home mega fight at that point, which I don't think they want to do. Um, and maybe they kind of feel like, you know, Rousey's out the door inevitably anyway, not that we want to usher it by having her fight home again. But we would much rather have uh, her lose to home than beat Tate and then walk away. right? What if she just decides Hollywood is for me? Like, I do want to do that. You wouldn't want her to walk away if she beat home. Um, all, all I'm pointing out is if Tate somehow find it, find, oh, if Tate somehow finds a way to beat home, it creates a series of complications. I'm not sure the UFC is all that interested in. That that is one problem. But to your point, given the timeline. Not sure what else you can do. And I would still favor home to win. I still think you get what you need. Um, and if not home versus Tate, home versus Nunez, home versus Ngano, some somebody, you know. Uh Faraz Hobby's breakdown of Aldo McGregor, which was great, by the way. Um in the video he said McGregor is fa- I mentioned this before, the McGregor is faster than Aldo, but Aldo has more explosiveness. It was pretty surprising to me since I always thought Aldo was the faster one of the two and also have a hard time differentiating between speed and explosiveness. Uh, would be nice if you can shine some light on this or if you think his assessments are accurate. Yeah. Um, someone actually explains it here pretty well. Explosiveness is speed over a short distance. Yeah, and again, he doesn't elaborate in the video. First of all, you should watch the video, which is linked here in the comments. It's great. It's really good. Um that's the first one. The second part, I would say, or the, that's the first thing I would say. That to, to answer the question, yes, like if you see in American football, right, who is explosive? You see these, uh, these running backs, right, the guys who get the ball handed to them, and then they run for yardage. 
Um, those guys have to run a 40-yard dash, and you see some of their speeds, and they're just like oh, wide receivers too. You know, Wide receiver is on the line of scrimmage. They're all on the same line. Boom, they go. And these guys are like gazelles, man. They're like, I mean, we got Deshaun Jackson here in D.C. This guy can just, you know, I mean, he can create separation down. That's what you're trying to do. If you have a wide receiver and a cornerback for all my European watchers, essentially what you're trying to do is if you're the wide receiver, you want to create separation between you and him. You can do that with a burst of speed, burst of speed at an angle, burst of speed at an angle, and then a reverse angle. There's all kinds of different routes you run, hitch route, curl routes, real routes, you know, all kinds of different things, okay? Uh and you have to do it with this breakaway speed that these guys have. It's just tremendous. But um, that might be a shorter distance. Expl- explosive ability is just to get off that line. Who's fast at getting off the line? You know, if you're racing on a track and everyone's got their foot in the in the runner's block, right? And the the gun goes off, and you got to get off the off the your hands and running. That ex- who can explode who can make the quickest motion into a standard running motion. From there, though, uh, an explosion will carry you even through the first set of, you know, movements in your run. But after that, it becomes about a speed issue. Um, explosion is just speed in that in a very tight window or in a very tight space. You know, Yoel Romero can explode into a shot. Um, he can't sustain that kind of speed for very long it's just in these quick motions and these quick changing of the phasing of the game or standing i'm going to explode quickly into a shot um I, you know this is not something he can do over the course of a lot um but that's what they mean and aldo is i think unequivocally more aldo might be the most explosive guy in the ufc so he's definitely more explosive than mcgregor i still think he's got a speed advantage i still don't think mcgregor's got the speed both guys cut a tremendous amount of weight um what I think that McGregor is, is uh, he's really long, he's rangy, and he just has such, God, it's like he's playing an instrument a little bit when he puts his punches together because the notes hit at just the right time. He doesn't mechanically fire a one-two. He's just sort of flowing and finding a one-two. And what's interesting to me is like the cadence of when his fists make impact they hit at at like these perfect moments where someone is either not seeing it or doesn't have a chance to recover. You know, so they're hurt and they don't have a chance to recover, and then boom, he just fires one across the jaw, or he fires one they can't see it, bang, and he connects, and then he fires another one up before they can even do anything else. McGregor has such a gift for that, it's a total gift for that. I don't buy that being speed, man. I don't. I do. I would, you know, look for for as a hobby knows infinitely more about this game than I do. I'm just telling what I see. Um, I don't see speed being a... But I don't think he's... Even if we grant that Aldo is more explosive generally, uh, and that I think he's still faster, I don't think he's faster to a degree that's going to decide the fight. Explosive, that might cause a few th- problems for McGregor in, in short distance. But is whatever speed advantage, in my judgment, Aldo enjoys, is that really so great that it makes a big difference in the striking? I don't think so. I think there'll be other factors that make a much better difference in terms of who wins and loses those exchanges. Um, that to me is, again, I think it's going to be the most important thing to me is, is pressure forward. Who's putting it on? It's important in the Wyman Rockwell fight. It's really important because a part of Jose Aldo's style is predicated on he can fight fighting backwards a little bit better and exiting out that door. But if you're going to let Conor McGregor fight that way, that seems to me a, you are you are handing him 
the conditions necessary to let his best gifts come to life. I think that is a tragic mistake if he does that, even if he can fight a little bit backwards, you know, and, and, and you know, land a shot or, or two or three. I think Connor would, uh, do you think the UFC would let Connor fight for the lightweight belt in case he beats Aldo? I don't buy this at all. I don't buy this at all. You know, the, look, there are going to be circumstances, if not now in the, or in the future, where they let a standing champion, you know, um, go and fight for the championship in another weight class. Um, this is not unheard of in the history of mixed martial arts, of course, but I just don't buy this. I really don't buy this, even though they would make money with it. It just seems to be so implausible, especially if it's a split decision when these guys wins. I mean, you can, you have to have a third camp back-to-back for these guys, you know? So, no, I, I just don't buy it. Besides, if Dos Anjos beats Cerrone, the last thing you want is for Conor McGregor to fight that guy. I don't like Conor McGregor's chances against someone like Dos Anjos at all. At all, dude. At all. He's going to get lumped up, taken down, get his guard passed, and submitted. I guarantee you that. He's going to get physically roughhoused along the way, too. Let's check out what Twitter's up to if we can. If we can. Do teammates winning and losing on the same card have a big impact on fighters, e.g. Gunner and Connor? Well, we've seen in the case of brothers like the Pettis, it can have a big impact. And certainly um, it's never desirable where a teammate loses and they have to come back and figure it all out. But uh, again, these, the, I'm telling you, McGregor is bulletproof mentally and Jose Aldo has seen it all, you know. I just don't think that would make that big of a difference in the end. And you might like Gunner's chances to win anyway. Uh, Luke, is there going to be an extended Monday morning analyst and live chat to cover these three events? There is going to be an extended Monday morning analyst. I think I have finally figured out the format for that. So there's going to be, I'm going to break down uh, that main event and I'll probably break down another main event too. So two of the three main events, depending on which two or three are the best, probably going to break down the page Van Zant. Uh, Rose one only because it's on five pass. It's easier for me to take screenshots. Um, so there's that. Great question. Glad somebody asked. If Holloway wins, um, do you give him the number one contender match winner? Uh, uh, if Max Holloway wins, do you give him a number one contender match against the winner of Edgar versus Mendez or New Champ McGregor? There's no way Max Holloway is going to leapfrog Edgar Mendez. Uh, even with a dramatic win, if he can get it over Max uh, uh, Jeremy Stevens, but um, you know it's not happening on that main card by accident. You know they definitely have Max Holloway in the pipeline if he can keep things going. Max Holloway is so tremendous. That's another one, man. Where it's like, you know what? Um, I can't wait to see that rematch with McGregor and Holloway. We'll see how Holloway looks against Stevens before we, you know jumped to too many conclusions and let's see how McGregor looks against Aldo. But let me just say something there. If, if, if Holloway keeps progressing the way he is, you know, we all are out here thinking, Oh, maybe Chad Mendez is the kryptonite to, 
McGregor. Oh, no, it's Jose Aldo. Or, no, 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 it's Frankie Edgar. It's Frankie Edgar. You know what? Maybe it's Max Holloway. That wouldn't shock me at all, man. That dude is putting together a very, very, very difficult game for anybody to deal with. Anybody. And you can say what you want about the first match. It's a different Conor McGregor. It's a different Max Holloway. Both guys have absolutely turned the corner. They're very, very different. But if you ask me who has made more development in his game overall, um, I would say he still may be behind, but who has made a bigger jump since then? Max Holloway's made a bigger jump since then, for sure. What was it? Almost two and a half years ago? Because it was August of 2013. I was in, I was actually in Columbia at the time. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think Holloway's made a much, much bigger leap in his uh, ability. Why do you think the salacious nature of the Rousey-Brown relationship has been largely ignored by the MMA media? Well, I'll tell you what, it's a good question because I certainly cannot speak for um, the rest of the media. I don't make decisions for MMA Junkie like Dan Stupp does or I'm not sure who really runs the Bleacher Report MMA side of things or, or whatever the case may be. Um, I think there's been a fair amount of coverage of it. Um to the extent it was relevant about discussions of domestic violence and her own participation or, you know, perceived participation, the details from her book, I have brought it up, but I can tell you very clearly, and I can't state this, the older I get, man, do not care about Ronda Rousey's personal life. I, you know, if she wants to date donks or heroes or losers or town mayors, I just don't care. I, 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 of all the things in my day to pay attention to, that is so close to the bottom of the list, it's hard to describe. To the extent it becomes a more relevant issue as we're having a discussion about domestic violence and how it's treated in, in the sport, then fine, we can do that. But, but if someone asks you, like, oh, Ron, Ron Rossi is dating Travis Brown, what do you think about it? I don't think nothing about it. I think I'm going to have a turkey sandwich for lunch. That's what I think. I think it's about the same level of, I give much more thought to um, where I'm going to get my turkey sandwich when this chat is over than I do who Ronda Rousey is dating. Wow, do I not care. If you want to make some judgments about them personally, as a fan, feel free. I try, at least I have a responsibility to, even when I don't want to, I have a responsibility to try to make some evidentiary-based Decisions about the character of people. And I don't think I have enough really to do that. Some evidence, but believe it or not, not enough. And so that's that, you know. Um, you know, with Mayweather, there's a overwhelming amount of evidence for him to make a judgment about him personally, if you so choose to, uh, or someone like Greg Hardy or something like that. Uh, but with these two, this is just their lives. And I couldn't possibly tell you one thing about their relationship, and nor could you really. Like if someone said, what's a defining characteristic about the relationship? What makes them laugh in each other's company? What do they like to do in their free You could tell me nothing. And I could tell you nothing. What tell me about how what how me and my wife like to spend our free time. What are you, you going to tell me? You're going to tell me nothing. You don't know. Uh, and I couldn't tell you anything about yours. And that's about as relevant as I see it. Uh So it says, is John Anik not with UFC? He should be the top commentary replacement. This is uh, not a good argument. 
It's not a good argument because John Anik is play-by-play. He is not color. He could not take the place of Joe Rogan. What you're essentially saying is it would be Mike Goldberg and John Anik. John Anik is extraordinarily talented as a play-by-play commentator. The only ones who could take Rogan's place are existing color commentators, which include Joe Rogan, uh, excuse me, um, Brian Stan, Dan Hardy, and Kenny Florian. If those three don't fit the bill for whatever reason, there's another one you have to go to outside of the company. Who that might be, I don't know. But there you go. Uh, I'm sorry if you already answered. If you're Frankie... What? Oh, if you're Frankie, who do you want to win on Saturday? I say Aldo. Probably Aldo. Uh, And I think he's picking Aldo to win, too, by the way. Do you think the Connor Aldo fight will go past the third round? No. I think they do way, way too much damage to each other. If Weidman closes the distance early, will Rockhold take him out with a head kick? No, I don't think so. If I see Weidman getting sparked at any point, it's with a right, a right cross. Um, just based on the way he holds his body and how he kind of uh, leans a little bit. Uh, what's to say about the Monopoly lawsuit when Ben Henderson is testing free agency and Fedor stating UFC needs to learn how to treat fighters? That is a not a good argument against Monopoly. There might be other good arguments against Monopoly. In fact, there are good arguments against the fact that there are arguments against the idea that UFC is Monopoly. Having one fighter test free agency and one person making disparaging remarks about them is in no way proof for the legal terms that have to be satisfied to disprove Monopoly. Um, I was having a discussion on my radio show about whether or not you think the San Bernardino and Colorado Springs shootings both qualify as terrorism. And you take calls on this and people say, you know, if anyone's getting out there and, and hurting people, it's terrorism. And you have others saying, you know what, you have to kill four people for it to be terrorism. They had these arbitrary discussions, you know, and I was asking, has anyone consulted the FBI definition of this and whether it meets the distinctions between domestic and international? And although those are the, the, the two, the criteria differentiating those two is not very much, but the point being is, should we have a discussion centered on this? what the legal terms of this actually are, because once you define what it is legally, you can then change how it is handled and processed in case of crime prosecuted and, and so forth. So if you understand what, the, what has to be met legally for uh, the monopoly um, claim to stick, we can work around that. I can assure you one guy testing free agency, and by the way, can't test it until he has exclusive um, negotiating period with the UFC completed. So, you know, let's not forget that, uh, is in no way evidence. Is in no way evidence. Uh, all the Reebok gaffes are a planned way to take focus off fighter cash from the deal, right? I don't think so. Uh, is the Nevada State Athletic Commission just slowly playing the Nick Diaz thing and did they remove the fight pass cameras? I don't think they can remove them because um, it's it's a government entity. Uh, unless they got some sort of like special permission from a court, I don't know that they could prevent anyone from recording those proceedings. It's not their choice. 
although they do allow themselves to be microphones, so maybe they took that away, but you could fix that with a boom mic, you know. Actually. Why are we excited by Nelson versus Maya, but dreaded Shields versus Maya or Fitch versus Shields and so on? Well, first of all, I'm not sure anyone is dreading Fitch versus Shields that I'm aware of. Uh, and Shields versus Maya had a lot of, I mean, it was a fight night card. That was one part. You know, part of the appeal of Nelson versus Maya is that it complements something that's already great. Right, so you had this this brilliant 194 card with these incredible headlining fights. And oh, by the way, Jacare versus Yoel Romero, which we haven't even talked about yet. You have all these different things, these moving parts and so forth. And then, oh, added to that, we're going to have two of the best submission guys going at it. And one of them can really strike, you know, in, in Gunnar Nelson. Boy, that's amazing. And then people were saying this is the first main card, right, where you've ever had um, everyone who's on the main card has headlined a UFC contest before. Right, this is a totally unique scenario. Um, pardon me. Um, so part of it is that, uh, there's a lot of belief that Gunnar Nelson can win via striking. Look what he did to Brandon Thatch. Part of it is maybe just some amnesia about it. Part of it is, I think you're also mischaracterizing Shields versus Maya a little bit in terms of what it will be. I think people had underestimated Shields a little bit too, being, ah, oh, well, he won't really be able to hang with Maya and he did quite well. I don't think anyone thinks Gunner's going to be overmatched in that way, um, going in anyway. Maybe he winds up being overmatched, but like that's the perception. And then, and then, lastly, it's 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 another addition of greatness in its own right to this other collection of um, you know just top tier fighters. And so, as a consequence, um, it, it, it 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 there's an additional aura of you know uh, prestige added to it. Do you think Mayweather could become a super agent for the likes of Jones and Ronda and squeeze a lot more more money out of the UFC? No, I don't. All right, let's go back to the top here. Who should Almeida's next opponent be? Faber, Dodson, Sterling, McDonald? Um, I would like it to be Aljamain Sterling. And you could say, well, you're going to kill off a contender there and maybe you are i'd be willing to entertain a different choice i'm just telling you that's the that's the one i want uh too long of a question here about how long is the reebok deal and what is going to be the aftermath upon the end of the contract well that's a massive question is it not uh let's see Look, I know it's hard to see far into the future. It's not just hard to see far into the future. It's actually impossible. But based on the knowledge we know of these fighters now and their improvements, can you tell us which ones you believe are future champions or will fight for a title at least once or neither? Sage Northcutt. Don't know yet. Sorry, I don't know. It's funny about Sage Northcutt, right? Here is a guy who has a tremendously awesome attitude about athletic competition who, um, you know, listen, has won a lot of accolades, but, and I'm sure in a competition he's lost before, you know, so he has, he has felt the sting of defeat in some capacity. Uh, and I'm talking about all, you know, the point karate stuff he'd been doing and whatever else. Um, young, 
bright eyed, having a good time. Uh, obviously, athletic to a degree that is you know almost impossible to describe. I'm a, I'm not gonna say I'm nervous about him because that's not true, and I'm not gonna say I don't believe in him because that's not true either. I, I I don't know what I'm about to say to be true. I'm only gonna tell you. Here is a question that is circulating in my brain. What is going to happen to him when someone puts it on him? Right? Let me contrast Sage Northcutt a little bit um, with somebody who, you know, to me is the exact opposite. Not exact, that's not true. Is in one way a direct opposite. Compare Sage Northcutt to somebody like John Moraga. Okay. Now, I don't know that John Moraga is the pure athlete that Sage Northcutt is. And with the support system that Sage Northcutt has in place and with the excellent attitude that he has about, you know, wanting to win in competition and everything else, he might go all the way to the top, man. Uh, it, it would not seems seems very plausible as a scenario. On the other hand, there there are a lot of guys who, you know, who never have to go through tough lives to get out on the other side um, and and they can compete in MMA and they can grow up with, you know, healthy mom and dads. I don't want to exaggerate the influence, but I'm sorry. I, I fundamentally believe that generally speaking, generally speaking, the better fighters are the ones who have had, you know, in some way in their life, some kind of tough experience or experiences they've had to get over. And, Certainly, I'm, everyone, I don't know Sage Northcutt's life or his pain, but relative to most people, he's got a nice life, right? Um, wealthy parents, uh, born with incredible genetics. You know, I'm sure he's tasted the sting of defeat in competition before, but, you know, and he's, I'm sure he's lost a relative or a loved one in some capacity, you know. It's not like he's just had everything easy his whole life. I don't mean that at all, but push comes to shove, if you make, if you had, a, if you, let me ask you this: If you had someone who had all of the athleticism that Sage Northcutt did, and at this point right now was at least hooked up with a world class team, but you know, I'm talking came from a rough side of town and saw a lot of bad things in his life and had to overcome them and had a, and and you know you trust him to have his head on his shoulders now, you know, but this is a tough dude. Who would you pick to win? Boy, I'm going to pick the t- the guy who had the tough life personally. Um, now maybe there aren't equals to Sage's athleticism. I'm just telling you, there's gonna come a time because it happens to everybody. We just saw Ronda Rousey get head kicked. There is going to come a time where Sage Northcutt is gonna fight someone who's gonna put him on the ground. I'm just giving an example. Put him on the ground. Who's gonna put him in mount and is gonna start raining down elbows on his face. Gonna be curious to see how he responds there. You know, I don't think he's just going to fold because I think he's a really, really driven competitor. But I don't know that being a driven competitor from an athletic standpoint, this is the one area where MMA, uh, where fighting slightly departs from sports ever so slightly. I'm going to, you know, if there's a guy out there who has really, I'm not saying, I'm not, when I say Moraga, I don't mean Moraga versus Northcutt. I just mean mentally. I'm just bringing up the Moraga's mentality. If you took Moraga's mentality and you put it in Sage Northcutt's body with his support system, that might be the that might be the baddest dude on earth. Because because John Moraga, I don't know that John Moraga has the you know he's a, he's a t- super talented fighter. Is he the best fighter in his weight category? No, you know it's, it, he's not. But John Moraga, when he fights, John Moraga plays for keeps, y'all. 
<laughs> John Moraga is out here playing for keeps. Um, and he does it with a certain kind of steel determination that I'm not sure, generally speaking, you can get with the kind of upbringing uh, Northcutt has had. I could be completely wrong about this. This is not something I would go to my grave arguing. It's more a hunch. And I'm saying if you had someone with the exact same attributes and two world-class camps, you know, maybe that situation doesn't even exist. Maybe Northcutt is just that special. And maybe I'm all wrong about this. Maybe that competitive spirit that drives Northcutt will overcome somebody who has, you know, uh, worked themselves through a disadvantaged background but has every other thing going for them. Maybe that's true too. I'm just telling you the history of the fight game has told me that I don't know about Northcutt, man. I don't know about let me finish this question. I don't know about Northcutt in that capacity. Um Max Holloway, I think he will fight for a title if he doesn't win it. Pena, same. Paige Van Zant, same. Joe Duffy, probably. Yo, Romero, sure. Kelvin Gastelum, no. Sergio Pettis, no. All right. We have to go. As a reminder, there's a live chat tomorrow at 1. There's a live chat tomorrow, uh, Friday at 1. Two more live chats this week because there's so much content and there's so much to get to. So I'm going to end this chat here, but follow me on Twitter, at Thomas for any updates related to the chat. You can email me at luke.thomas at sbnation.com, itunes.com slash practice. Thank you so much for watching. If you didn't get your question answered, Use the hashtag chat wrappers, all one word. I'll just go to them tomorrow. I'll put this post up, another post up for tomorrow uh, at around 9 a.m. Just get your questions in there. If you didn't get to them today, uh, I will do my best to answer everything that you guys have asked. Okay? So don't worry. You have two more chances to get your stuff in, and those chats on Thursday and Friday will, will be an hour each. Plenty, plenty, plenty of time and good, good goodness coming your way. So, Thank you so much for watching. I hope the new microphone worked well. I got the lighting, got the haircut, got my Mountain Dew. About to go get my turkey sandwich. Until next time, stay frosty.